Talia, thank you very much to be in the Dutch uh, at the podcast. I'm really happy to have you uh, in the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Perfect. Thank you. We know each other uh, a little bit already from GrowTrap and we talked about uh, the beautiful tool that you are building with uh, Engagely. And I thought like, yeah, uh, we need to share the story, but also your background and what you're doing already really long in the ad tech space. Um, and and uh, Engagely also raised, uh, uh, I think last week, right? Uh, $33 million. So it was also a good time to invite, uh, to invite you for the podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, before we talk about that and jump into uh, Engagely, I would love to hear your background a little bit, what you have done, uh, your profile, and also how you yeah, got started in the in the education space and also in the end then uh, what you're doing at Engagely. So um, uh, let's, uh, let's start there. Sure. So I've actually always been somehow in education. I've had the privilege to explore the world of education from many different angles. Uh, I've dedicated my uh, last two decades or so, professional decades or so, to to education and specifically to to the crossroads of education and social impact, which is my my personal passion of seeing how education can really improve and transform the lives of both individuals and communities around the world. I um, I completed my BA and MA in humanities and social sciences and focused on education and civic engagement in my, in my thesis, MA thesis. And I've worked with a range of um, populations with families and children at risk. Uh, I taught high schools and taught uh, and, and trained teachers and academics and developed executive education programs, promoting more effective social policies in, in different organizations. And most recently, in the last few years, I've been uh, diving into the world of ed tech and I've been working with leading ed tech organizations like Coursera, and Khan Academy, where I was uh, really invested in promoting equity and access to education on a global scale. So there I was leading research and educator development programs and community building and, and really looking at pedagogy enhanced product design in multiple roles that I've, um, that I've served in, in both mm -hmm. of these organizations. And I also had the opportunity in, in the last year or two to work with government ministries and national level initiatives in digital education and transformation. And then when I heard about Engagely, uh, co-founded by, by Daphne Collar, who was also a co-founder of Coursera, and Dana Vida, who is the CEO, and Serge Plotkin, who was a um, professor at Stanford, I, I really, I felt like I have to be part of this movement to reimagine digital education. And this is really an opportunity where the entire global community is um, considering and, and deep in thought about these directions. So really these individuals that established Engagely have deep knowledge and expertise, both in higher education, but also in, in the, the pain points and the needs of, of learners and instructors alike. Yeah. I'm really honored to take part in it. So, so today I lead EMEA partnerships at Engagely and uh, work uh, mainly in Europe and the Middle East. And I'm also leading research and, and learning design initiatives. So a lot is going on. And as you mentioned, we just announced our Series A and, and we're very excited to see the response from really across the world, from institutions and educators and, and students as well for for this need for better ways to, to learn together, to learn online, but not just online. We're really looking at the world of hybrid learning, of 
different scenarios of very different um, approaches to learning than what we knew in the in the last decades. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. You've you've done so much, and I think we can have like three podcasts for you <laughs> with all your knowledge and and uh, also. Your, your, maybe you can uh, explain a little bit later also the the, the evolution of the ad tech sector because you 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 did work for uh, Coursera for three years and also Khan Academy for for a while. So mm -hmm. I'm, uh, maybe we can talk about it a little bit later. But before we jump in, uh, I got a beautiful demo from Engagely and and, and with GrowTribe. Uh, we we think you guys are uh, building definitely something different than the other video platform tools, if I can say it like that. But can you maybe explain a little bit more what Engagely is doing um, as a platform? Yes. And, 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 and uh, uh, yeah, why it's uh, uh, definitely have a different approach and unique approach than other platforms. Yes, I'm happy to. So first of all, Engagely is, it was created from the ground up by educators for educators. So it's really a new digital experience that's purpose-built entirely for learning and designed to foster student success for every learner and also for the, for, from the instructor perspective. So Engagely enables enhanced teaching and learning experiences with evidence-based and human-centered tools. And so when we speak to universities and colleges and academic institutions, we really partner with them to reimagine the learning experience at each of these institutions and deepen the engagement both between the learners, the students, and, and amongst themselves, and also between instructors and students. And we do this by creating meaningful interactions that drive better learning outcomes. So the, the core pillars of Engagely are when we're talking about what's uh, unique or what's different. First of all, this deep engagement that I was mentioning, mm -hmm. both with content, but also the, the, the human connection piece of it. That's really something that we felt was missing from existing platforms, especially during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing would be an environment that really enables organic and seamless peer-to-peer -peer collaboration and social interaction. And then really um, increasing the, the learning outcomes and student success with a collection of analytics and engagement data that's meaningful for learning and available in a way that helps instructors um, make better decisions in real time and also helps learners understand their own progress. And the, the, the basic layer of it all is, is creating an inclusive learning environment that's universally accessible and really allows every individual to succeed in their learning experience. And if you're asking what's, what's unique or what's different from, from other tools or other, other platforms, I'm sure many other companies or organizations are trying to solve the problems that have really uh, gone to the extreme in the last year or so with the global pandemic that we've seen. And we're, we're all trying to find better and stronger remote learning solutions but Engagely is different because it was designed by educators with feedback from hundreds of academics around the world. And we really understand the, the importance of engagement and of active learning for improved learning outcomes. So as opposed to some of the existing platforms that actually allowed the whole world to move to online overnight, these existing platforms were designed for video conferencing. And that's yeah. fine for meetings, but it's very limited for learning and for teaching. Yeah. So Engagely is not a video conferencing tool. 
And it's not a tool that was adapted to fit the needs of education. It's a platform that promotes learning at its core. And, and I think an additional difference is really that added layer of meaningful engagement analytics that boosts learning outcomes. So this is something that we're really focusing on. Yeah. Now it, it, it is, uh, yeah, this is a podcast. So people will, can, they definitely should look at the website and the screenshots and all the features because there is a couple of, uh, yeah, things that are so much further already than a, a normal Zoom platform uh, uh, what you offer which is really good for the teacher but also for the groups and 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 there's like you get feedback and you see how people are responding and and and, and um uh, which which makes it um, the the whole discussion of like ah uh, certain experience you cannot bring across online yeah, yeah that, that discussion becomes uh, I, I still think there is a lot, a, a, a lot to do. Yeah? Like we still have a long way to go yeah. to make that experience. But uh, yeah, um, you, 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 with the platform, you definitely made some steps uh, further. Well, thank um, you. And and I think what's interesting yeah. is the best way to experience Engagely is to actually, um, of course, experience <laughs> <Yes>. it. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's hard to describe something in words. You actually have to do it. It's it's similar for learning. Uh, it's yep. better. It's better to learn by doing than to learn by hearing about uh, doing something. So it's the same for engagement. Yeah. So we invite everyone to come to our website and take a look. Perfect. And and just for me, yeah, on on this topic about uh, yeah uh, remote uh, learning yeah, with the platform, what are future features that you on, on Engagely or maybe on on on, on other platforms that you see as well like what do you think like what, what will still come up in the upcoming years where you say okay we are not there yet uh, but uh, the roadmap and i see uh, those features being implemented uh, in the future can you maybe tell something about that or maybe yeah. your vision around that yeah happy to to contribute to that question so I think currently what we have a very strong focus on is the collaboration, the active learning, how a um, very large classroom or cohort can feel like a small learning pod to a, a student or a learner. And all of those things already exist in the product. And I think as we think about the future and as we start developing for fall semester, we're very much deep in thought about how we prepare for a hybrid future or sometimes yeah. uh, called high flex or other names that people are starting to think about. First of all, scenarios where you have some students physically present in a classroom and some are remote, um, but also hybrids of combining synchronous and asynchronous learning situations and activities. So how do we look at learning not as just um, one-time synchronous session or experience, but something that's ongoing, that can be experienced and consumed in various ways and different channels, um, meaningful ways to interact that aren't just monolithic. So learners can maybe have more choice on how they want to experience the, the learning and the content. And the, the idea here, and this already exists in the platform is that learners have access to a dynamic learning environment whenever they need. So you're not dependent on the presence of an instructor, for example, to, to access your, your virtual classroom. You can, you can come to the classroom, you can uh, uh, schedule time with your peers to work on a shared project or watch the recording of a lecture and interact with some of the learning activities that are integrated into the recording and, and still remain, there's a component of interaction that remains even in the, 
in the recordings. So even when you watch a lecture after the session has concluded, you still have these opportunities to have meaningful interaction with both content and peers and instructors. So thinking about all that as a holistic um, learning journey is something mm -hmm. that's definitely part of our development plans and roadmap. Yeah, and, and and just for me, eh, is it already being used? That what you say that hybrid? Some are in the classroom, so, some are at home. Uh, um, is uh, uh, are there already examples of, of schools doing this where you have the platform and I think it's possible that people sit with, for example, in the classroom with the phone, right, and then at home behind the laptop, and then um, or is this still like? in development uh, and, 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 and will come in the, in, yeah, in the near future. Um, uh, and there's still some challenges yeah. to overcome. Yeah, good like question. Where, where are we in the maturity? Yeah. So um, first of all, we have several hundred universities, institutions that are uh, part of our invite-only uh, pilot phase. And we're hoping that Engagely will be broadly um, accessible and available to everyone uh, uh, next year. And mm -hmm. also um, for the hybrid situations, we do have several use cases and requests from uh, institutions we're working with to develop this, um, this capability. And we're, we're, we are having early, uh, early evidence and early scenarios and early pilots that are trying it out. But, but it is still in development. It is something that we're yeah. going to have in the near future, yeah. We are thinking, as you mentioned, we are thinking of the direction, the, the current directions are really um, leveraging and taking advantage of the mobile devices that students have each in their pocket uh, yeah. and thinking of creative ways to use that in order to create a more equitable, equitable environment so that the instructor can really see the whole classroom in a way that it's easy to see who is engaged, whether they are present or remote. And also... Um, you know, have a better sense of how active the students are, what they're doing in the classroom, to easily divide them into groups, uh, and to do all of that in a in one in one environment in one place. So even if you're physically present, you can log on to Engagely with your mobile device, and the engagement data is also available to the learners and the instructors in the same way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it it will be. Um, uh, I'm, I'm... Um, we're so early, right, in edtech. Eh? Uh, where do you see, where do you uh, you build a platform? But not only engagedly, but where do you see where are we in ten years? Also, the adoption of universities, high schools, and even maybe um, uh, where are we in ten years now with COVID? Yeah, I hope it it's, it was positive for engagedly to accelerate. Uh, but where are we in ten years? What, what what do you envision? Well, that's an excellent question. I think. You know, even before the pandemic, education was already shifting to online. Mm -hmm. But there were a lot of skeptics and, and there was yeah. a resistance and people had a hard time uh, shifting and changing their perceptions and their mindset and usually sticking to what's familiar. And I think the pandemic really um, accelerated that shift and removed some of the initial psychological barrier for, for new technologies and also for new ways of teaching and learning. And this is why I think that, or at least my prediction would be that hybrid and flexibility are probably the key words for how we imagine the future of, of learning and of education. And I really, and I'm starting to see these um, very creative and interesting collaborations 
between universities and industry, between employers and academic institutions, between students and faculty. So we have this interesting situation where students are now bringing new digital tools and capabilities to the table. And it's not just um, kind of a customer relationship where the students come and consume a product of education. They're actually part of the strategic thinking about the future of their own learning and education. And I've actually been, um, I participated in an event this, this week uh, with leaders from higher education in Europe. And it was very evident there that the leadership in these institutions are first of all, very thoughtful about the strategy for the next few years. How, what will the academic institution look like? What would the timetable or the, the class schedule look like in a year or two? The, the students who are enrolling into bachelor degrees this year are going to have a completely different experience than just two years ago. Yeah. So the leadership is very deep in thought and they, they also acknowledge that the students, the learners need to have a very significant seat at the table in this discussion. So this is, I think, something that's fairly new and will, will really shape and have an impact on what learning will look like. And, yeah. and also I think the, the result of the, the fast shift to online and digital during the pandemic uh, really created these processes of considering which of these components of digital can actually serve us even in times of uh, you know, routine or relative routine and how our fast changing world can really leverage new technology to make the experience better for students, to allow more choice for them, to make them much more, um, to have more agency over their own learning, to mm -hmm. allow them to be uh, more impactful and influential in their own learning journeys, to take really, to take the, the lead and to navigate their own learning. So this is something that I definitely see in the future. Yeah. Beautiful. And then uh, also a critical question, um, because we, we like, uh, also with Dutch EdTech, eh, we want to improve the EdTech sector. We want to have a little bit more acceleration of EdTech, but also to, to provide more uh, learning and lifelong learning and, and better education to more people and to improve. And, uh, uh, what are, in your eyes, the, still the, let's say, the bottlenecks or the, the challenges to overcome uh, to make sure that the adoption and the, the acceleration of ethic trends and innovation goes a little bit quicker. Uh, well, um, so yeah. Two things I wanted to address for that question. I think as I'm thinking about the question, two things come to mind. One is that I like this term of not only flexible learning, but looking at a flexible institution which yeah. sometimes is hard for uh, in universities, especially for uh, you know, very established and traditional institutions to think about flexibility, but this is something that's definitely going to be necessary moving forward. And the other, thing, and the other thing is, I would say, and this is my, my, personal, um, my personal passion, is really thinking about how we reach wider circles of individuals on a global scale. And how do we really address the global classroom in a way that allows any individual, regardless of their personal background and circumstances, to have this access to high quality education, but not just access, also a true opportunity to succeed. Because I think really when you think of the MOOC movement, 
like Coursera and edX and the other or um, you know platforms that offer content, they really made a huge impact in terms of access. But sometimes access isn't enough and you really need to take that extra step and be intentional and thoughtful about the technology to enable underrepresented groups, to enable individuals who didn't necessarily have the access or the capabilities or the technology or the connectivity to participate in these, uh, in these environments. So this is something that we're really focusing on at Engagely as well to, to both you know, allow uh, better access and to reduce bandwidth requirements, to allow, to allow learners from different places around the world with different types of devices to, to access a learning environment that's completely browser-based. They don't need to install anything or set anything up on their computers. And we really want it to be easy for students to have a great learning experience. And also once they're in, to make sure their voice is heard, to make sure they're actively participating, to make sure that they feel like they belong there. These are things that won't happen on their own. They need you know, they need us, the human part of technology, to be extra thoughtful and intentional about it. Yeah, and it, it's, it's well said. And it's also, it, like, only access to education, like, for example, even a YouTube channel or a whole YouTube, you, um, you, if you're creative, you can learn almost everything. It's almost there. But that will not be enough for uh, helping people. It's also like, what should you that question and the paradox of choice what should you learn how deep should you learn something mm -hmm. and what should you learn next those questions are i think really difficult to answer alone um and, and how should you learn not just yeah and how should how? you learn yeah like <laughs> yeah the, 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 you know the, the, if i what think... kind of typer of learning are you right yeah. like more audio listening reading peer-to-peer -peer, gamification whatever um yeah and I would, I would usually say diversity is the, is the key also in the methods, right? Even if I yeah. enjoy watching TED Talks, for example, I'm not sure that I, I can learn anything in the world just by watching TED Talks. It's good to have, uh, you know, both the, the consumption of content, but then you need to also practice. You need to talk about it with other people. You need to have the active piece and component of learning for the information to be stored in your long-term memory and for you to be able to you know to recall it in the right places so yeah no that's the, uh, for sure and this uh are, are there any companies where that you look personally look up to in the tech space that you say oh those are doesn't need to be the 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 the, the collaboration tool the online um, tool but it can also be something else like i'm wondering when you say like oh those are my personal favorite <laughs> and they are at the forefront that's a great question. So I'm actually um, a kind of eclectic uh, consumer of uh, news and content and, uh, and uh, happenings and events in the edtech world. I try to really mm -hmm. be diverse in my uh, sources of information and I try to follow a lot of the key players in the space. Uh, so I don't think I have a personal favorite. Of course, I have uh, a warm place in my heart for the organizations that I was a part of, Coursera and Khan Academy, which I think are really, yeah. uh, we're really at the forefront of this movement and are, are still very, very central in, uh, in shaping the way that people think about online education. Um, but I really try to, to keep up with, you know, everything that, that comes out, because I think many of the companies and organizations that are thoughtful about edtech they each contribute uh, an interesting and important angle to it. So some are yeah. more focused on 
AI and machine learning solutions. Some are more, fo more focused on the social aspect and emotional aspect. Some are like, I can give an example from the K-12 space uh, and also as a mother of young children, uh, one, one uh, uh, product that I really love that's also free is Khan Academy Kids which yeah. is uh, it's a spin-off, the, the core Khan Academy product, but it's really, really well built. And I think what's very impressive about it is that it combines a lot of the different aspects of learning, both the social emotional part and creating a narrative around content and learning and making sure that the learner is always active and always choosing and always interacting with the content and not only passively listening. So I think there's a lot to learn from them in, ter in terms of how they approach uh, the learning experience for younger children. And I think lots of those concepts are also relevant for adults eventually. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a beautiful organization. Mm -hmm. They are uh, still doing uh, great work. And, and I, I'm also wondering, any. Um, at the content, books, articles, or podcasts in the last couple of months that you said like, oh, those were great and, and our uh, community and members should definitely listen to or read or watch um, any, uh, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a, a learning science geek, I would say, I guess. So I try, <laughs> I try to follow... Um, some of the resources that have uh, information and new research that comes out. So some of them are specific to universities like Stanford or uh, University of Michigan, like uh, conferences recently, there was a pandemic pedagogy research symposium from, uh, it was a partnership of several organizations and universities. Uh, there's um, an organization called learningscientists.org that have uh, really interesting resources and uh, newsletters there's a, a website called Evidence-Based Education. Um, there are podcasts around, um, uh, there's one called Cult of Pedagogy that I used to listen to a lot. And also I'm still a traditional consumer of books. <laughs> so, yeah, books are always the best. <laughs> yeah, sometimes still. I listen to them on, on audio, but sometimes yeah. I, I actually like holding the book in my own hand. So one book that really influenced me was, uh, it's not a new one, but it, I think it's still very much relevant. It's called How Learning Works. Seven based yeah. uh, principles for smart teaching. So I really recommend it to anyone uh, in the edtech space and anyone that has something to do with education. I think it was really insightful and, it, and it's written in a way that gives you a lot of concrete examples of the, um, the principles of uh, effective learning and the combination of uh, learning science and, and cognitive science and neuroscience with the practices of teaching. Yeah, and this is from the writer is? Uh, Susan? Susan Ambrose and a, Rose, few, yeah. a few other people as well, yeah. Cool. That was not yet on my list. I want to <laughs> yeah. check it out. Recom yeah. I recommend it. Yeah, it's a very good one. Perfect. Uh, last two questions we always ask in the podcast. Like, who should I interview in the podcast next? Like, who has an interesting story that is like, oh, that would be an interesting person mm. to invite. So actually, one of our uh, recent um, connections and uh, an emerging partnership that we have is with ESMT Berlin, which is one of the top business schools in Europe, and their um, associate dean of degree programs and head of the, the EdTech lab, whose name is Nick Barneville, is also... Um, has also officially been named the, the chair of the Foam Alliance, 
which is uh, an alliance of innovative uh, business schools around the world. And we're actually partnering with them around a very unique program for mathematicians in African countries that are transitioning into industry and, and high tech. So um, I think Nick would be a great person to, to speak to because they're doing some really innovative things at ESMT. And, uh, yep. and yeah, I, I would definitely talk to him. Perfect. I will, uh, if you can make the connection, then sure. uh, we definitely will uh, put him on the list and then invite him. That would be amazing. And then uh, last question uh, we, um, we're also asking is, uh, what would be, uh, we call it Ministry of Learning, not Ministry of Education. Uh, let's say you would be the Ministry of Learning. In uh, You're based in uh, Israel, yeah. if I'm correct, right? Like, or um, what would you do? Like, what would be something like... Uh, uh, couple of first steps or uh, policies or something like that can be high level, but what would you change and do? Yeah. So it's an interesting question because um, I was actually involved in some initiatives in the Ministry of Education here. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, in probably in each country, the, the government ministries who are leading and in charge of education have different models of operation. And it's hard to say something on a global level, but I think in general, I would probably invest a lot in trying to translate the theory of learning science into practical strategies and really providing that support layer for educators, not really telling them what they need to do, giving them a lot of autonomy and flexibility, but offering them the tools and professional learning and support to, um, to help really promote the, the education system and to focus on active learning and social learning and group work, something that it's still, at least here and in some other places, um, is still rare to see in a classroom. You still see a very traditional model of, you know, one teacher standing in front of a very large classroom that's yeah. all sitting in straight rows. And, you know, it almost seems like this, it's nothing has changed from a hundred years ago. So of course there yeah. are some innovative institutions in higher education and in K-12 um, that are doing it differently, but I think I would like it to be the standard. I would like it to be the default that learning is active learning, that learning is something that learners and students are deeply engaged and involved with. And it's not something that's brought upon them in a way that you know they're passive and someone else relays them information or content. So this is what I would think about doing. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. That, that's, you're so true. And there's still, we're also, I think in the beginning of that whole transformation and digitalization of the whole education space, you know, both for K-12 and high school, but also for lifelong learning and let's say workforce transformation. And uh, uh, yeah, we are, we are still in the beginning of new tools and learning analytics, new metrics that will come out of tools that can yeah. adjust how we look at learning as well. Like, uh, and by the way, my, yeah. uh, my perspective on that is that I don't think the education system needs to adapt itself to the new tools. I think it should be the other no. way around. I think technology really needs to serve the human purpose, right? So yeah. we need to be intentional about our technological choices. We need to choose the right ed tech ecosystem. We need to define what our learning goals and objectives are. We, we wanna be very thoughtful as educators about where we're going and why we're doing what we're doing. And then it's easy to choose the right digital tools. Um, yeah. So we wanna make sure that the educators aren't working for the tools, that the tools are working for the educators. No, 100%. But then, then also, for example, uh, the, the whole landscape, what's out there, 
yeah. and you need to know that some tools exactly. are existing you, yeah. that you can use it so there's also it is a little bit like an chicken story like oh like like yeah we, we, with GrowTribe we, we're teaching a lot of like digital marketing and growth marketing so yeah. a lot of tools in that space mm-hmm. and sometimes people say yeah exactly same as you like oh this is how we should do it till we introduce them a tool and they're like oh now I can do this yeah or I, 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 I'm changing my point of view or I'm going to change my campaign or I'm going to be creative with more marketing because now I have this tool. So this is, I, I just still think tools are shaping people and, and people are shaping tools. It's, right, a, it's a feedback loop. It's a, but, it's a cycle. It's a cycle. Yeah, but it, it should always be supporting it. I'm never a fan of like replacing teachers or even with GrowTribe. We have a lot of trainers and teachers. Never. Um, but it, 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 it is also... Um, uh, if you look at the whole experience and what we want to learn and behavioral change and executive active learning, there's still so much. Yeah, we are at the beginning of, of um, uh, or, or shaping this whole space and we need to do it together, both public, private and, uh, and uh, yeah. So, yeah, and, and by the way, I think the principles of, of effective learning or good pedagogy they're not, um, they're not new. They're, you know, these concepts of personalized learning and differentiated learning and mastery learning, we've known about them for decades, but now mm-hmm. we have the tech tools to really make that happen in, a, yeah. in an environment that it, what, it wasn't possible before. So this is a real opportunity. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm personally also really interested in all the analytics that come out of those tools yep. and, and that will shape even maybe uh, 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 official education rules at high school, for example. So mm-hmm. for example, like uh, the, that's what you see uh, at least in, in, in other organizations uh, and, and, um, uh, where you can, yeah, if, if let's say um, after a certain time, students are uh, uh, zooming out because it takes too long. Mm-hmm. Right? No, that, and if all the, the, the metrics to show that, it could be that we say, okay, we are not allowing any classes longer than 90 minutes yeah. anymore because we clearly see by the data that people are engaged and they don't get the information. So it could be that the rule will be, oh, uh, so I'm also wondering what will happen in that whole space. Um, 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 Definitely. That's rule. actually something we already have at Engagely. So yeah. once your engagement level on, in, on average in the classroom is low, then you get a, a recommendation, you know, listen, your engagement level is a little low, maybe you can introduce an interactive poll or a discussion. So yeah. this is really something that's enabled by analytics. Yeah, that's uh, beautiful, beautiful. That's a big uh, field. Thank you very much for taking the time and sharing your knowledge and the interesting insights. Uh, and I will definitely invite Nick for the podcast and uh, share the content uh, that you're sharing with us, uh, with the community as well. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Perfect. Thank you very much. Hey, bye-bye. Welcome. Today we have Edwin van Dres in the podcast. He's the co-founder and CEO of Study Portals from Eindhoven, founded in 2009. And Study Portal is the international study choice platform helping uh, students to find and compare their study options across uh, borders. And they have more than 200,000 published courses from more than 3,700 participating institutes and over more than 36 million users. So definitely one of the leading platforms for higher education. 
Um, great conversation about the future of edtech, future of higher education, giving people opportunities to study abroad, helping them to see the opportunities, what is possible out there, uh, what the impact is of COVID. So I hope you learn a lot from the conversation and um, enjoy listening. Welcome. Today we have Jan Willem Huisman, the owner of IJsfontein in the podcast. And IJsfontein is started in 1997, so they have seen a lot. Um, already a long time in the space of education, mainly in the interactive, playful learning gamification space. So they do projects around training to for educational entertainment, think about serious games for training tools for medical staff, interactive exhibitions, apps for museums, but also uh, learning methods for uh, primary education. Uh, beautiful conversation about gamification mainly and about uh, making learning more playful. Eiseltein um, has more than 40 people working for the company, ranging from concept directors, designers, programmers, and marketeers. And we talk about EdTech, the future of EdTech around gamification. So I hope you will enjoy it. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Today with Ruben Timmermans in the Dutch EdTech podcast. Ruben Timmermans is the founder from Springist. He started Springist in 2008 in Amsterdam. It's a comparison website where people can find trainings and compare trainings. There are roughly 250,000 trainings on the platform from more than 7,000 suppliers. They're active in the Netherlands, Germany, Belgium, the UK and Sweden. We talk about the story from Springist, how Ruben started the company, what motivated him. Um, to build this company and we talk about the merchant acquisition with StudioTube that happened uh, last month and he tells how uh, they're going to work together and what are the next steps and how this uh, merchant acquisition happens with StudioTube. So great conversation and uh, you can learn a lot from uh, an expert in the edtech space from the early days. So good luck, enjoy! <laughs> 